Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of that 60s recording podcast. Uh, my name is Joe Montague, um, and I am your host. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, before we begin uh, today, uh, I've got a couple of little housekeeping um, bits and bobs that I wanted to discuss. Um, I've had uh, some lovely feedback over the last couple of weeks um, about the podcast, so thanks so much for um, to all those people who were getting in touch. Um, it's quite weirdly it's quite an isolating thing making a podcast specifically on your own um i know uh, i get to speak to these great people and that's really nice for the hour and a half or so that we get to chat um and then you know it's quite social online but at the same time i'm just in my uh, little studio room at home um recording this and it and uh yeah it is it's, it's strangely uh strangely um yeah, isolating is the right word. So it's nice to to reach out and know that there's people out there who are listening to it. So thank you. Um, and uh, some of the uh, some of the feedback I've got is is uh, constructive, which I'm really enjoying. Um, so a couple of things that have um, been brought up that I just wanted to uh, draw attention to. Uh, first of all, um, the sound quality, particularly of the last episode with David Hood, I, I know I said it in the in the episode, it wasn't uh, particularly great. I mean, it was audible. There was just a couple of moments that were um, that got lost a little bit, but the, I made a judgment on editing that you could still um, get the sort of flow of the conversation, um, and it was important to keep those little bits in. Um, as I, uh, I, I just think it's it's uh, often very difficult to pin down these people. Um, I try really hard to find interesting guests, um, and the more high profile they tend to be, um, it's not always the case. But it, uh, you know, you just you uh, you uh, understand that you're taking um, you're taking away their time, and they're they're generously giving their time to me um, and you guys. Uh, to discuss their life and you know often it's stuff they've done many times before as is the, you know they've probably done lots of interviews and things before um so i feel very grateful that they're taking the time to do it um and i always ask if the guests can record their own audio if possible and it's not always possible so i have to rely on the internet connection now i've got very good internet connection here but that's not always the case um at the wherever that my guest is recording um, and it's, uh, so often you just get what you get. Um, and I apologize that occasionally it is like that. Um, but that is just the way it is. I'm, I, uh, I'm afraid and I, I do apologize. And I, I just want you to know that I'm trying, I am aware of it and it's something that I do try my best to sort out, um, and make it as good as I can for you guys. Um, Fortunately today, uh, Andy, who I'm speaking to, I'll talk about in a minute. He um, was very uh, good at recording his own audio, which he should be as a <laughs> as a producer. Um, anyway, the second thing that I wanted to discuss, and this was a uh, another little bit of feedback, which I again really appreciate because it's really useful for me to know what you guys are into. Um, I had somebody saying that they, I think they were probably listening to this uh, from Australia, which who said that the detail is um, is really cool, and that's something I've had a few people, few different people say to me, um, and I'm pleased because it's the detail that I'm enjoying talking about. So I mean, like the nerding out on gear stuff, um, and I think uh, what I'm going to try and do over the next few episodes is lean into that a little bit. Um, and maybe get uh, producers to talk a little bit more about gear and signal chains maybe in their favorite mics and things like that um, because that is the stuff I, w I enjoy talking about I was just always a tiny bit conscious that I didn't want to to get too heavy on gear um, 
because you know ultimately the the sort of uh, ideas that I'm trying to portray are not about gear. It's nice to talk about gear. Don't get me wrong. I love gear as much as the next person, but it the whole I'm sure you realize from past episodes the whole vibe of what I'm trying to do is uh, is about attitude and what's going in as opposed to the microphone that's picking it up. Um, and it's more about process. So I do enjoy talking about gear and placement and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to try and lean into that as much as I feel comfortable doing it. Um, and I am really pleased that uh, that's something that I'm, I, I now know that you guys enjoy hearing too. So I'm going to try and do a little bit more of that. Um, okay, so straight on with the, uh, with the episode. So today I'm talking to a producer... Um, an engineer, um, instrumentalist. This seems to be the uh, the bit of a trend at the minute. It's you know you have to be a jack of all trades um, to get by. Uh, you know I'm I'm no different. I obviously play drums, but um, you you uh, occasionally find me playing guitar on a session or or um, mixing something or whatever. So you do have to do this. And 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 again, Andy is just exactly like this. So his name's Andy Reed, and he's from Michigan. And he is an award-winning producer in Michigan um, and is a uh, a big name out there and he's doing incredible things. So in this episode, we discuss um, the advantages of having a glorified home studio setup, which seems to be the way that most of the, uh, the world is moving to these days. Um, and we discuss Beatles because Andy's a huge Beatles fan. Um, we discuss um, him working with a particular producer who had a major influence on the way that he looks at recording and the process which is very similar to a lot of the past producers I've got to come and chat to us on the show and that is the reason the main reason I wanted to speak to Andy um so I think you'll find it a really fascinating conversation um so I will quit my babbling um and uh, here we go Andy Reid um, so today I am incredibly privileged to be joined by Andy Reid uh, from I have to look this up because my geography isn't very good. So you're from Bay City, Michigan, which I've looked on Correct. the map, and that's the. Is it? It's counted as the Midwest. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, it, it it's kind of tricky because it is called the Midwest, but we're pretty much like on the eastern side of <laughs> the whole Midwest thing in the United States is crazy. But if you look at it from a point of like everything kind of started in the east and kind of worked its way over so yeah midwest uh we're pretty much canadians at this point because we're so far north um <laughs> and and which is fine with me i love canada i'm a hockey fan and all that yeah mid midwest but yeah do you know i was uh, i was looking on google maps and i thought you guys are pretty close to canada and um there's a lot of big canadian artists from sort of um uh well names escape me now off the top of my head but anyway they they canada's got a great music scene and i was thinking do i dare ask him about canada is he going to be offended if i if i accuse him of being almost canadian <laughs> no not at all i know i'm a huge hockey fan i have a lot of canadian friends it's funny because we're honestly an hour and a half drive from being in Sarnia, Ontario. Wow. It's it's we're right there and and I can get to Toronto in 4 hours and it's closer than most major cities in the United States for me. So growing up um you know tons of trips to Canada, love it there. It's it's an amazing place. Um so I I just want to I want to come back to that but I want to um I realize I haven't given you a proper a proper introduction yet. So I'll just tell people 
a little bit about you before and you can sort of elaborate if you want. So Andy runs a, um, a studio called The Reed Recording Company um, and that, uh, I guess, grew out of a band called The Haskells, which you can sort of elaborate on maybe uh, in, a, in a little while. And uh, just for some perspective, you have won... Uh, the best recording studio in is it in the Michigan area for the last seven years running? Yeah, it, it it there's a section in Michigan just called the the Greater Bay Region, um, and it, it's basically just the middle of the state. You know, if you drew like a a pretty good sized circle in the middle of the state, um, it's always been an honor. And and our music scene that we have in this area is the reason why I have a business. You know, it's it's like, it's not, you know, the success of, of a recording studio lies so much um, on the music you record and not so much, not as much on your, your ability as an engineer and producer, but it's just, just super lucky to, to be in this area at this time when there wasn't a lot of recording studios and I think being in a band that I was in early on playing original music, you know, you don't, you do shows with three, four other bands. So just meeting people and just becoming friends with all these people. And then afterwards, when they're looking to record, you know, now they don't have to travel to two hours to Detroit to get a record. They're like, oh, yeah, I remember Andy. He was hang let's go give his studio a try and that's all how it all began and it was it was completely unintentional but it just kind of grew into something that I'm fortunate that it did because uh, I love I love making records even after you know 15 years so it's been great so I know you you um you're super modest so you'll say it's the it is the musicians but a large part of um I suppose why you're um as renowned as you are in the area is that you create a uh, a nice atmosphere nice is such a bland word <laughs> a comfortable okay. atmosphere um you know like it's it's a, a your am i right in thinking your studios in your basement at your house completely yeah it's just like jamming in your your basement at home doing garage band rehearsals and all that yeah so i think that takes a little bit of the pressure off people for sure yeah so they must feel they must feel really comfortable and familiar in that environment, and it's not as intimidating as you know, sort of a traditional studio setup. Yeah, for sure. And and I'm not, you know, a lot of the people that I record, probably seventy five percent of the people I record, this is their passion. It's not their career, you know. So this is their fun thing that they get to do. So, um. And they don't have as much experience as, as, as going in and spending a month in the studio every day doing their records. So they pop in every, you know, one or two dates a month and just chip away at their records. So it's it's the day they look forward to and, and they can be relaxed and we just hang out and my dog's running around. And yeah, it's it's uh I'm I'm pretty I'm I'm glad I started it this way. You know, my wife and I have have plans to buy. We when I when we bought this home, I I never had this uh, vision of of having a recording studio. It was just hey, look, they have this little space in the basement for me to do my demos, right? So now that we're, you know, we know what it is, we're gonna look for a a home 
that might have an outbuilding, like a pole barn or something, that I could build something a little bigger because it is pretty cramped down here. So uh, a little bit more space would be awesome. I can get some more keyboard or <laughs> gear and all that stuff. Um, so one of the the main uh, reasons I, I I was wanting to speak to you, aside from the fact that you're a really lovely chap, <laughs> is that um you have your sort of philosophy on recording. So we kind of met um online due to due to a mutual love of Beatles music and um the more I dug into to what you're about um the more I I realized that you're sort of a you you're coming from a a vintage analog style but you you sort of um label it as a for the modern era which I think is very similar to to how I approach what I do um yeah and so you I suppose you must have started out um like kind of loosely analog and then you you sort of um, moved into the digital world but now you still track and produce things with a a sort of a vintage attitude yeah i think that the yeah that's that's there's a lot there um the the thing that the thing you know i started out on uh, with tape machines you know four track and then and then eventually when i did get pro tools i still had this otari uh, half inch eight track, which I still love to use because you know at that point the convert the the digital converters hadn't really gotten to where they are today, so the tape still had a sound that we really couldn't capture in the digital realm. Which now I feel like it's a lot closer than it ever was. Plugins and you know I have a couple Burl converters and stuff like that that really help um, get that analog sound that that tape tape has allowed you to get um but what you find when you things to tape it, there's a process that you have to do a certain way so where it becomes you have to get the performance down and not rely on editing as much and you know i went through this period where i was like yeah it's close enough close enough i can fix it close enough i could fix it and then you do your editing and it just it doesn't sound as it never sounds as good as if the person just plays it properly there's just a feel thing in there and i think that the thing we love most about those old records is not the fact that they were done with like two microphones or tape machines it's the fact that these people played this stuff and had to n- nail it you know and they were in a room together and there's things that you can do in a digital world and still get that, that vibe of being a group of musicians in a room playing a song. And I think that having learned that on tape, you carry that into this digital era and, and still get that feel and get that vibe. And then of course you could throw in your vintage microphones and your vintage, uh, you know, whatever, mic pre's, compressors, da, 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 da. Um, and you can still capture those colors that we're so familiar with from those records. And just kind of like, I, I always like, you know, the whole idea of the modern record is like, I love the way a lot of modern vocals sound. There's so much clarity and, and you know, it's kind of over compressed. I don't know. I just, I, I really like that. So, you know, your tambourine can be distorted as like crazy and just kind of throw that slide that in there and just give them a little bit of that 1960s crunch you know so i just try to do those little things like that to to remind us that 
still remember our past and keep one foot, one foot, you know, in 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 the in the sixties and seventies, but still we can look forward to breaking the rules and trying to find new ground in the modern era. <laughs> I think um, this is a, you know, I've had this conversation numerous times. I think you you really nailed it the way you've explained it there that. Um, it's about the the attitude of the and the process that you would you would emulate when you were going to tape is um is certainly the that's what i mean by this sort of vintage style and i i wonder whether you find um with the artists that you work with um perhaps they've not grown up um recording to to with analog gear they might have you know had an interface you know or whatever they've had when they were doing stuff at home do you find there's a reluctance to to use full takes do you th- do, or maybe um it takes a bit of encouragement to build their confidence that, that that is a good take even though there might be a few little things that they're not happy with but the the overall feel of it is there yeah, and I, I don't think, you know, most of the people that I work with and the artists that I work with are, are really just laid back and cool with whatever. So when it comes to doing something like vocals, um, you know, I always just I, it, it, just tell people that this is the way I like to do it and, and, and they're 100% cool with it. And that's just like, let's just sing it all the way through a couple times, no stops. And let's just see what we get. And usually... Um, after three or so, there's a good one. And then we can go in and just kind of fill in the blanks with the previous takes. And if we need to punch a line here and there, that's fine. But just capturing that attitude of them singing with their eyes closed for three minutes or four minutes, it it gets them in the zone. And, and I'm all about headphone mixes, too. It's like I, I spend so much money on headphones because I want it to sound like the record to them in their ears when they're singing it because i think that's so important like getting the reverb right or getting a delay right or just having them hear it the way it's supposed to sound and i just feel like they they're able to step up to the plate and do a better job when it's when because they're excited and they're they they feel it in their in their ears and stuff so little things like that just to get them in the moment and then let them plow through it without any breaks. If they screw up a line, just keep going, that kind of thing. And and I feel like rather than doing it line by line, and I think that you speak with 99% of producers and engineers out there, they agree that that you're gonna get a better you're gonna get a better vibe. And, and the pitchy stuff you can fix if you need to. And you know, sometimes I like those bumps and bruises in there, and if it's if it's the right style of music. So, yeah, it's all it's all just, uh, you know, just doing takes, doing takes, doing takes, and just and just trying to get one that feels like it's the one. Yeah, I think um, there's I think it's a Miles Davis quote, maybe that's I can't remember the exact quote, but the the sort of idea of the quote is that the the golds in the first three takes. And um and anything after that you're just repeating ideas again. I mean obviously that's that's linked towards sort of improvisation, but I uh, I think there's a, a nugget of truth in there for sort of popular music as well. For sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go back to the to the beginning because I want to kind of track. Now we've got some perspective on sort of what you do. I'd I'd like to to sort of track back and work out how you kind of got to to this point. So okay, uh, am I right in thinking? You're a multi-instrumentalist. Do you play a few different things? Yeah, I, I started as a guitarist. 
uh, I did do a little piano and, and drums when I was a teenager, but it was just like, you know, I had them. I didn't really focus too much on them. But when I got actually a late start, you know, I, I bought my first guitar when I was 18 years old. Wow. And um, my cousin Danny was a drummer in an original band in our area. And I'd always love music. Obviously, we all love music. Get into this mess, but... Um, <laughs> I I was uh I bought I bought my first guitar at eighteen and just and just fell in love with it and it was one of those things where it's like, you know, you're you're so bad at first you can't play anybody else's songs, so you just write your own. <laughs> so <laughs> I started I started doing that. I actually learned to, to play guitar on this book. It was the Beatles Easy Chord Songbook. Like oh, cool. I learned my chords from that book. So uh you know, there's it, some of them were didn't sound great, but whatever. <laughs> so I got into playing guitar, and then and then eventually uh, bass to record demos and stuff like that, and and then you know drums and keyboards, and I you know, I'm not as strong of a swimmer in those areas, but uh, I did as you know I started as a guitarist, but then later I I had played in a couple of of really good bands as a bassist, uh, one is a local cover band from our area. Uh, and that was great because they played five nights a week. So I was actually able to play at night and then start the studio business during the day. So, you know, you start off with two two sessions a week and it slowly grew. So that gave me the opportunity. It was hard because, you know, you're out till four in the morning and then you got to come and get up and, and do your session. But I didn't have any kids back then, so I was able to kind of hammer through and do it. So that's how I kind of was able to get going on this. And then eventually when it was full enough to where I didn't need the cover band gig, I was able to just do studio. So that was an important uh, band for me in the regard that I was able to pay my bills playing music, but then slowly grow this business into something. And then I played in another band called The Verve Pipe, which is which which was a very very big band uh, in the '90s. They had a number one hit with The Freshman, and the drummer from The Verve Pipe is from the Saginaw area, and he's one of my best friends now, uh, Donnie Brown, who we had become friends. Dude, totally hilarious because of our our mutual love for the Beatles. I <laughs> crap you not. Huge Beatles nerd. He's a great songwriter. He's a great dude, and we'd become friends over the years. And and basically, the uh, the bass player couldn't make a tour, and I literally got a call the day before the tour, like, dude, we need you to, to learn this. And I hadn't played with the band yet, so I'm learning songs with my bass and my iPhone on the way out to Philadelphia. Uh, to fill in for this tour and then eventually I got the gig as the bass player which Amazing. was it was a blast it was a blast to be in a band that got the treatment yeah you know uh and, and just we played some great festivals and stuff and and then when my daughter was born I didn't really feel like uh I wanted to be out on the road anymore so uh yeah. and the in the studio was already doing its thing. it it but it was a great opportunity so eventually I started as a guitarist Start long story, but started as a guitarist, <laughs> ended up kind of known as a bass player. So, and I'm okay with that. Oh, cool. Um, there's a there's a lot for that I want to unpack there. There's a, I mean, my just on the back of what you just said, there's a lot of great 
if any bass players are listening to this, they might I might get some emails. But a lot of great bass players did start off as guitarists. They say, you know, Paul McCartney is a great example of that, isn't he? You know, I think that that that's a really good example. You know, he's he did he didn't do too bad for himself, but yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I was gonna. Uh, oh, where where was I? Um, oh, there we go. So I was just thinking, what as you were talking, I mean, that's a story you hear time and time again that. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with a book called um, Outliers by my- Malcolm Gladwell. Um, I- I'm familiar with it. I haven't read it, but it's on my list for sure. Oh, cool! It's a, I mean, it's a really interesting book. It's, there's a there's a big part in it about the Beatles, so you'll you'll be interested in that. It's the whole sort of idea of the ten thousand hours and the story that you hear time and time again, and it's you know it varies very slightly between people, and you know I've got my version of it, and your your thing of playing covers five nights a week. Um, you know, not only will have that have helped you pay your bills and helped you start your studio business, but the the, the amount that you, you learn from replicating songs and just spending time on an instrument, hours and hours and hours and hours on it, uh, I, it's yeah. it's so essential. And it's a it's just a story that you you hear all the time. Yeah, for sure. And you don't realize it at the time. You're like, oh crap, I gotta play Brown Eyed Girl. <laughs> But it's like, that's a cool bass line. You know what I mean? Like, there's things in those songs. But, you know, we were we were like a top 40, 80s, you know, 70s, 80s band. But, I mean, that's the stuff I grew up on. I'm, I'm 43, so. But you don't realize it at the time that it's like, that is molding you into the musician that you're going to become when you, you know, start writing bass lines for other people and, and you start doing these things is like those songs are injected in there and, and it's it's awesome and that that's why when i and and i'm sure you do too it's like i encourage people i see these kids playing you know these crazy drum covers on youtube and it's like it's the coolest thing in the world like that's what you play the songs that you love to play and play them over and over and over again and that's the best way to learn an instrument in my opinion a hundred percent and the i mean i i've been guilty the same of i mean my my sort of a what's the what's the word for it achilles heel or whatever is um not achilles heel the 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 thing that i don't like is valerie playing valerie at weddings that was my sort of bogey song like oh (laughs) playing valerie again and once you you know if you go back and listen to that recording it's it's brilliant it is you know Amazing. the drum, drums on it are so good and the the best musicians that i've worked with are the ones who are willing to to go back you know when they were doing that the cover band thing and they go back and listen to the versions and they go do you know what this this isn't just a song that i've got to repeat over and over if i learn this part exactly there's there's a reason why it's as big as it is you know one hundred percent. Yeah, you you have that appreciation as you look back for sure. And it, you know when you start stuff like that, it's like okay, I got to learn these sixty songs in two months before I get this gig. So you're not looking for the slides and the and the little fills. You're just looking like what's going to get me through this live. Yes. And then you then you as you slowly learn everything, you just pick up those little bits. Those little uh, the dynamics and all that stuff that really make those parts sing. That, and that's where the hours come in because you would never you'd never have the um, the attention to focus or the time to focus on that had you not played it two hundred times. You know. Correct. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. It's yeah. Keep, awesome. Keep, it's, keep a, it's it, 
Sorry, I was, oh, was going to say, keep sort of harking back to Beatles, but you know, they're a, they're another great example of, you know, they'd started off playing covers and, you know, the, all the time they spent in Hamburg doing that stuff. And uh, you can hear it on, um, you know, I've been listening to a lot of Solo McCartney the last few weeks and you can even hear it on the stuff he's releasing now is that, uh, you know, he's calling back to, they, they call them magpies, don't they? The You know, Lennon and McCartney. You can hear the stuff he's collected from when he was a teenager doing those thousands of hours. For sure, yeah. What And, and that's one thing that's so overlooked. And you hear, you know, I'm sure I, I, I've had a, I had a fun anti-Beatles bashing fest on this guitar forum the last week. It's kind of like my new favorite pastime is engaging anti-Beatles people, but that's a, that's well, we won't get into that too much. And it was on a guitar forum, no less, which was funny. I said something like, maybe quit focusing on the guitar sweeps and maybe you just focus on the song kind of thing. But yeah. anyway, people... Yeah, other than McCartney and maybe George a little, you know, Ringo, there's a lot of drummers that don't get it that will do the Ringo bashing and stuff like that, which is just ridiculous. Um, But you listen to those early recordings, and it's like, that is a band. Like, that is a band, like you said, put in their hours, and there's some fire in in those tracks. You know, before they got you know, into their experimental phase and overdubbing and, and, and getting weird in the studio. But even later, the the heart of that that live ache of having Ringo, Paul, John, and George just do the rhythm track just stayed true through Abbey Road. But those early recordings when they were doing them live, Please Please Me and and Meet the Beatles, it's just like there's there's that's that's a pretty damn good band. Absolutely, it, it really, yeah, really is special. Um, I wanted to ask you about so talking about the sort of um, the the way you know uh, piggybacking on you know the way the Beatles recorded, and then what you mentioned before about the way that you approach your re- um, recording in your studio. I wanted to ask about um, your experience working with um, Brendan Benson from the Raconteurs because he, the Raconteurs is a band, and the White Stripes. So th- for those of you who don't know, the Raconteurs. You can, might correct me with this because I'm not um, I'm not super okay with the, the way it is, but so Jack White and Brenda Benson created this sort of a uh, super group of of um, musicians called the Raconteurs, and they they released a few really great albums. That's that's right, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And there's a there's a couple other members from a band called the Greenhorns from Ohio, which is right underneath Michigan. And actually my band, the Haskells had done a show with the Greenhorns back in the day. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, and, 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 and it's another Michigan thing. Jack White is from Detroit, Michigan, which is about two hours South of us. Um, sorry, we do everything in, in hours, not miles or kilometers. (laughs) So bear with me, but yeah, it's maybe 90 miles, uh, South of us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so when I was getting into this whole music thing, this is like late 90s, okay? You know, the White Stripes hadn't really hit yet, and uh, but they were big in Detroit. Like, they were big in the area. There was a buzz, for sure. Like, this something's going to happen. And Brendan had released a record in 96 on Virgin that just, it didn't do anything, but it was like one of my favorite records ever. I just found it in like a bin... 
And I'm like, it was a guy jumping with his guitar. I'm like, that guy looks cool. Totally gonna buy this. <laughs> found out, found out he's from Michigan. Da 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 da. So, literally, we're looking. Our band got a little independent record deal. We got like a five thousand dollar budget. Do an album. So, um, looked in the phone book, and he Brendan's name was in there. Wow. We heard he had a studio. We called him, said, hey, we're this band from Bay City. We're kind of this little power pop thing. You know, we, we know you've done a couple of re- recordings. Would you, would you be interested? We met down and met him, and that's literally how I met him and, and got into the studio. That's amazing. What a cool story. <laughs> yeah, so we, we uh, you know, he was all analog. It was my first time in a studio. Just fell in love with the process. He's like... He, he, even to this day, and and I still keep in touch with him via you know Facebook Messenger and stuff like that. But uh, his approach to recording was really the thing that that sunk its teeth into me personally. We were going to tape, you know. He would be like, "Oh, let's try this," and he'd throw on a literally just throw on a like a Beatle record and just like listen to this. We got to try to find something like that, and then we'd mess around with some of his old amps or something and try to get that. So. The, the way he referenced older records to inject into this new band that he's working with, like this is, it's like it's refreshing, but it's still like keeping dipping our toe in the past here. And that I haven't changed one bit from that moment, you know. And that and that's what really drew me in. You don't need to play a cover song per se to get that familiarity of of having something be you know a little bit from ram or a little bit from you know, Fleetwood Mac or what or whatever your your thing is so when people come in now i really you know and especially if they're making their first record or their second record i ask them i'm like well what do you love like what records do you just absolutely love and i'll just you know it's bob dylan you know highway 61 or whatnot like then I kind of just store that back here. And then if they bring out like a bluesy song, it's like, dude, we should go for a highway 61 drum sound on this. And you're just making this experience so much cooler for them because now you're going like, that's what Bob did, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's so much fun to see them light up. And also it works. <laughs> you know it works because it's already been done. Now, you're not ripping it off. You're just kind of wearing it on your sleeve a little bit. And I think that there's no shame in that. You know, all these people are like, oh, Billie Eilish sounds like this or Lady Gaga sounds like this. It's like, who gives a crap, man? It's like they're they're proud of where they come from and let them be who they are and, and wear their influences proudly. I so, the buzzing that, that's, that, this. Yeah, you go on. That was that was an important that was an important thing for me. Like just just because I was so excited about that way with Brendan, the way he did that, that it just it just it it the backbone of what I do for what, sure. What an amazing um sort of experience to have had i mean before before you went in the studio with Brendan, did you had you, you presumably you'd done some recording to get a deal up to that point 
No, just demos. I mean, we'd just done some home recording four track things. So oh, okay. we, 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 we hadn't done much. And it was, you know, this is, this is late 90s. So you, the recording technology wasn't really what it is today. It was like ADATs, you know, mm-hmm. um, which was god awful. <laughs> but, and, and eventually I did buy an ADAT after recording with Brendan and kind of got into the home recording thing a little bit more because I just was so, in love with that process so and then right after that to continue brendan's story you know and it's funny because like even walking into the studio one day they were friends already it's like hey andy this is my friend jack hey hey jack i'm andy he's like so the best part is like so i was i was staying over at brendan's house because we were doing a couple days back to back and um he's like hey andy jack's playing in, with his band down at the Gold Dollar, this, this crappy bar in Detroit. We should go check him out. So I'm literally, like, the third or fourth White Stripe show. There's, like, 15 people in the bar. And Jack White put on the same performance that he would have if there was 200,000 people at Glastonbury. Unbelievable. So I'm, like, watching this. And I'm, I'm in my formative years here, right? Yeah. And And it's, like, you can either be, like... Um, you know, oh man, that guy's just over the top, blah, 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 whatever. Or you can be like, I need to get my butt to work because <laughs> that's rock and roll. That's what it takes. So I took it as this is the goal. This is, this is, this is the, the type of feel that I need to be putting into my music and not just writing songs and just putting melodies and chords to them. There's so much more the attitude part of, of the music process that the thing that you can't write on paper, you know, that, that I learned from that experience too. It's just a, I mean, that, that is incredible. I mean, Jack White and, um, and Brenda Benson are just renowned for, you know, when, as soon as I think of them, I think of exactly the recording process that you've described, you know, that that's what you listen to those records and they just ooze attitude and, um, competency and confidence and they everything about them is is just right but they are not they they are analog they just sound right and it's a you know that i think um what an amazing experience for you to have had and completely explains how you've got to where you've got to (laughs) yeah it 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 stuck it punched me right in the face basically (laughs) literally (laughs) almost punched me in the face yeah it was it was great and and it really made me, cause you know you're you're young. Like I was twenty one, twenty two, and it's like I'm like, yeah, I'm making this record. I got a little bit of a cocky attitude to it. It's like, but being with Brendan and seeing someone like Jack and and, and perform and the whole mis- Detroit music scene in general, um, made me realize I just have a long way to go, and I took it as a motivator. And I took it at, and, and and that's still with me today. It's like we talk about we before we were chatting, uh, we we talked about the um, imposter syndrome. It's like it's like that hasn't gone away. It's like I can still throw on pet sounds and be like, I'm just so bad at what I do, <laughs> you know. But I know deep down I'm not bad at what I do. I know that it, it's weird, you know. There there's um, the false modesty there, but. Um, I it, it it continues to drive me to improve. 
and with this world that you and I live in recording and making records, the book is never going to be done being written. Like each chapter is, is, is kind of added to year by year. And so what other profession allows you to continue to push new boundary and try new things and just, and just have fun exploring like we get to do. It's crazy. So, uh, just that, that feeling inferior is when I'm almost most inspired, if that makes sense. A hundred percent does. I think that's really beautifully put one of the, um, it's a bit of a, uh, um, like a, a clash almost that you have to have. And it, this is something that, you know, everybody I speak to who is sort of a, an inverted commas successful in, in what they do is has, uh, you have to have a certain level of confidence about what you do to, in order to put yourself in the situation in the first place. But then you don't get by without the modesty of, of knowing that you need to, you always need to learn this. You, you're never at the end, you know, you, there's always more to, more to go. And I think that that is a trait that um, all successful people involved in music have. Um, and, you know, the uh, sort of adage of the higher up in the music industry you go in terms of who you speak to, the nicer people become. I mean, I know there's probably exceptions to that rule, but that that's <laughs> certainly been true in my experience, you know. For sure. We, yeah. We... Sorry, go on. I, I was going to inject too, it's like, a fun th- like when when I started this too, it's like I was always afraid of screwing up, afraid of screwing up. Where you don't have that confidence of like knowing what each thing does, and 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 as I built up this this confidence to try new things and get a little more um, creative with sounds, you know, you'd miss like, and then I'd be like, oh crap, that's bad. But then you you're failing in front of. The artist, which then they're like, oh, he can screw up too. Because they're basically screwing up in front of you all day, doing take after take after take. And then I realized it's like, oh, they they kind of like it when I screw up. Not like like like, but they're like, they appreciate that like I'm apologizing. Oh, man, we tried that. It didn't work. Okay, let's move on. It gives them the freedom to do the same thing. And then you're just opening up a whole nother can of worms and getting their creative side and not just the part that they came into play. Then they're like thinking, okay, well, Andy's trying stuff. Didn't matter if he screwed it up. You know, he just apologized to move on and shook it off. Gives them a new level of confidence. I was like, okay, cool. Well, I guess I can screw up in front of people and it's not a bad, you know, and, and you're just, you, like I said, it's like you're creating an atmosphere where it's okay to fail it's okay to screw up but you can't fail unless you try stuff like that right so um that was the thing i kind of learned after getting my foundational like putting a kick drum here adding 60 hertz blah 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 all that nerdy crappy stuff that we have to learn to just get the basics down but you need to know that stuff to kind of get an understanding so when you do break the rules or try to break the rules you, you still know why it didn't work or whatnot so that was after a few years of doing this that I kind of got the confidence to start doing things like that. And then I realized that whether I get it right or get it wrong, it's a win. So let's might as well try stuff. That's a, such a great 
way of putting it all of that the you know the the irony is that the more the more confident you get the more exposed you're willing to to make yourself and and the more vulnerable you're willing to make yourself and probably make more mistakes than you know and if you're at the beginning of the process uh you you're you're deliberately trying to not make any mistakes and probably making a lot because you're trying too hard um right and you know that that's the irony and i'd never really even considered what you were saying about um from an artist's perspective if you if you allow yourself to be vulnerable for, in front of them then that means that they're able to be vulnerable too and and if anything that makes you appear more confident and competent because you're thinking i've got the confidence to screw up and and you can too <laughs> and i i think that's right, a, yeah. that's amazing yeah it just it just creates a more open floor for people to screw up and and it's <laughs> but but the thing is it's just like if you let yourself go there you know that fifth try or whatever it's that's where your magic comes from that's where the magic and record comes comes from it's like that thing that you wouldn't when you woke up this morning you had no idea that that idea was going to be the thing that made the song and and that's what I love. And and I get this so much and I don't know whether to feel good about it or feel bad about it, but every, most of the time when people leave they're like, "Man, I had no idea the song was going to turn out that way, but I absolutely love it." Like that is probably one of the most like said quotes leaving my door <laughs> at the end of the day and I'm like, "Okay, well, <laughs> thanks. You know, what you know, I'm glad uh, and what what it means though is that I think what it means is that, you know, I was in tune with what they were trying to say in their song and they had this certain vision and I just tried to help bring it to life a little bit more and they didn't expect it to flourish the way that it did. Yeah. Because they're, you know, and, it's, and it makes sense because their job is to focus on the song and the structure and the and the melody and the singing and all that stuff. And my job is to, to give it all the other bells and whistles. So, um, but I think that's what it means. Bent. I can uh, I can imagine a, a quote on the website saying uh, you know come and record with me it won't turn out like you want it to but you'll like it <laughs> yeah that's pretty funny and I really just came to that realization just talking through it that that is said so often but I th I and I know that that's why but now that it is that way I know that that's why people come here yes because they they want that little extra something that they didn't know they wanted yeah that's a really nice way of, of, of putting it um one of the things i i think is is really interesting um about what you're doing and i i um just sort of interested to hear what you've got to say about it is this whole sort of a uh, thing of of home studios i mean essentially my studio is not at home it's just it's just up the road but it may as well be at home um right it's in mine's actually the living room of a flat that's not being lived in, which so it kind of is a ho home in a <laughs> sense. Um, so it's a, it's that it seems to be the way that the music industry is going, and um, I, I'm just interested in to hear your take on on what you're doing and the way it fits in the world and how you maybe feel about what you're doing compared to sort of having a quote unquote sort of proper recording space if you like tr more traditional recording space um, right. and just sort of what your thoughts are about all of that kind of stuff yeah i mean it, it's there is a difference for sure i think that when you do basically 
what we're doing now live in homes is almost like what pre-production was back in the day. You know what I mean? So it's like we're flushing out the demo, which is still going to be the record, but that would have been the demo process of getting in your garage or renting a rehearsal space of a signed band, working with your producer for three weeks, getting the songs arranged, all the ideas down, and then you go into the studio and then you track it that way. You know, you, you're spending, you know, $5,000 a day, and I'm talking like late 90s major yeah. label kind of stuff. So I feel like what we're doing now in the home studio is almost like the demo process, but making it the record, you know? So we're kind of skipping, we're combining the two phases. And I think that's extremely awesome. And I think that if I had a bigger space, and, and, and I'm one of those people that's just always wor worried if I'm working fast enough and if I'm, if I'm, you know, making sure everybody's comfortable and just I'm a worrier, worrier, worrier. So I think if I was charging a lot more in a bigger space, it would, it would probably make me work. It would change the way I work for sure. Like I would be worried about time. I don't want to be ripping them off. I want to be working as fast as I can. Where here, I'm at a price point where it's comfortable for me to make a decent living and not worry about the overhead expense, still buy microphones and keep upgrading gear, but I can relax a little bit. And I'm okay with being a little more comfortable. So for me personally, it helps me slow myself down. And I'm not talking about just dragging my feet, just sitting here BSing the whole day. I'm just talking about like, making those mistakes and taking chances for five, 10 minutes going down a rabbit hole. If I had a big space where I was charging a lot more money, I wouldn't probably have the confidence to do that because I'd be worried about taking their time away from them. You know what I mean? A hundred percent do. Yeah. So, and then as far as like people building their own home studios, it's, there's so much good music being made right now. There's so much good music being made. Like, it's amazing to me that if I had the tools that we have now back when I was starting out, I never would have left my house, you know? <laughs> like, it, it, but I think it's an amazing thing. I, I think there's a place for the, the traditional studios still. I think there's a place for, I'm kind of in the middle, I think, of the, like, the home-based professional thing. And then you have your home studios where people are just jotting down their demos and ideas. And you can make records that way. I mean, the Billie Eilish record I talked about earlier, it's like it was made in a bedroom. Yeah. Unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the beautiful thing as you know and we've read the stories of emi with the co lab coats and like this is how you do this this is how you do this this is how you do this and th there were there was a rule book in recording and that that rule book has been burned and stomped <laughs> on and, and buried and and i think that's an incredible thing in my opinion i um i love what you said about the you, the way you you um position yourself between sort of a, an artist making a, a sort of demo at home and you know the the sort of bigger studio space because i think that's um that's exactly where i feel um what i do fits in as well and it's nice to hear it from from you too that it's uh i almost have people 
that I work for who I don't think would have had a drummer on their track had I not been doing what I was doing. They'd have used Logic Drummer or you know, they've put one mic up and got what their mate to play on some tea towel drums or something. Right. And yeah. I'm sort of making a, you know, relatively inexpensive, uh, void filled, you know, where they can go, Oh, for that money, I can just go and have Joe play on the track and, and it sounds good. And yeah, you know, I, I, it's, it might be that those, the guys that, uh, you know, I might, I'm carefully putting words in your mouth, but it might be the guys that come and work with you, mainly they might not have been able to afford to go to sort of a, a huge studio so they might have settled for just doing sort of terrible demos at home but now they can come to you and have something that sounds incredible but at a fair you know price that they can work with yeah and i think that the the the, the multi-instrumentalist thing helps me out a great deal in that regard too because <clears throat> a lot of what i get is just a singer songwriter they don't have a band so i have to be the band you know and and but <laughs> But I love it. It's so much fun, like to 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 uh, to sit there, and I don't sit there and just write the parts and just be like, okay, this is this is what I'm gonna play, da da da. I'm always like, what do you think of this? Should we go here? Should we go here? But you can involve them, even though you're the <clears throat> even though you're the messenger and you're the player. They can't play the instrument that way. You can still get them involved creatively. In what they're doing, so then they <clears throat> they're still excuse me, helping you compose the parts as we build the song and build this band behind their guitar and voice or piano and voice or whatever it is. So, um, and that's my favorite thing to do. I mean, I, I I do love engineering bands, and I do like working with groups of musicians like that. But I feel like my strength is definitely with an individual singer songwriter. And being able to help them capture a full record sound versus their home recorded acoustic and vocal or whatever. There's something um, very intimate about that process, isn't there? When there's just two of you working together and creating something without any influence from, you know, if there's, it's a different dynamic when there's a band and when there's just two people, the communication um, is, can be very open and it can, it's a really, really, intimate thing yeah it can be amazing and 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 there's just a, a bunch of examples i could mention but I, I i'll mention this because we just the record's newer and it's fresh but there was an artist that i made a record with called amy petty and she had moved into our area up from the detroit area and this is just this is She's a world class singer songwriter. Like she, you know, you know, there there are different levels of what we do, but she's she's top of the heap. So she reached out to me and and talked about doing a song, and but we just hit it off. There was like a telepathy thing going on between her and I musically, and so we literally made this record with all this stuff, and it was just her and I, and she was very involved with like the drum part she was very involved with the guitar parts and 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 i can hear it like when i hear the bass part i can hear like oh yeah i remember amy made me do that and it's like but that's awesome like you can still be a part of the other instruments and not know how to play them <laughs> yeah. if 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 the producer or engineer allows you know but i want it to be about them and i want it to be a custom recording for them and it doesn't have to be, you know, me playing McCartney riffs all over every song. <laughs> so that's fun. 
regard, you know, but but you know you know what I'm saying. I do. It's testament to your um to your humility and your success that you're um you know you're so conscious of of um the way that you sort of act as a vehicle for the for the artists that you work with. I think um it's really I'm really enjoying listening to you talking about it because you you're clearly so passionate about it and so um humble in in the sense that you're able to um to to be a vehicle for them without imposing your ego on on their music. Yeah, and I think that comes with a little bit of experience too. You know, you just got to do it the 10,000 hours thing like you said before and um and it's just fun to just we, we, and and in the end we are here to serve them. So the more you can involve them and it also keeps them engaged in the process and not just st- sitting on the phone and 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 just kind of zoning out while you do the guitar part and you do the bass part and whatnot. It keeps them engaged and in tune with the song. So in case something hits like oh, I got an idea for a piano part, you know, they might hear something but they would not have heard that if they've been looking at their phone. Like, what if the piano did that riff or whatnot? So, keeps everybody in the moment, keeps everybody fresh, keeps everybody uh, involved. Um, Absolutely, I'm, I'm I'm glad you brought this up because one of my notes, I was just looking over at my page. I looked down at your credit list, and it says, you know, like engineer, producer, and so many of the the artists that you've worked with, it says musician next to them as well. Um, it seems to be something that you do pretty much on the regular. Yeah, and and I and I I appreciate the bands kind of letting me get in there and have some fun, whether it's just a shaker track or whatnot. You know what I mean? I I love I love playing on stuff. I don't do it to get my name on the record. I just do it because it's just it's fun. And <laughs> at this point, when you get the relationships that you get with people after you work with them over for over a period of time. It is like the George Martin Fifth Beatle thing. Like you are a member of the band at, at that point in in the studio. So when when I kind of feel like I have that, I've I've earned that from them, and I've earned that trust, and they you know all that, and I feel like um, I can stand up and be like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I put Shaker on this or something? Like, yeah, Andy, go have fun. And then they're like, yeah, Andy's playing on a record. This is awesome, you know. And, and so. It, it it's just it you get to a point where where it it's uh with bands for sure like i have to kind of sneak my way in and like i said i don't care if i don't play on it, it, it at all but but it is fun when they involve me in that side of it as well so i think uh, the the sort of overriding um thing i'm I, i'm hearing is is it's all it's just about the song essentially and you know i i have had a few situations um you know over the years i've been doing this uh, one really recently where i did a track for somebody last year and he emailed me and i'm doing another one for him at the moment and um he went in the studio and re-recorded with his actual band um the track that i put drums on for him and i think he was a bit tentative about telling me and i was like man i do not care at all <laughs> you know i had yeah. fun playing on it it was great, but if you wanted to do it with your band, that's totally cool. Like, as long as the music is what you want it to be at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether it's me or somebody else. Just right. make it how you want it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and, and sometimes people will bring in, 
Like there, there's a guy in our area, Michael Robertson, who's just, yeah, I record him as a solo artist, but he's an amazing guitarist. And he's kind of like me. He kind of knows everybody. He's friends with everybody. And sometimes like people will be like, um, Mike's coming in today. I'm like, yes, I don't have to play guitar and I get to listen to Mike all day. You know what I mean? Like, like there, there's also that side of it too. It's like you work with these incredible people and then, but I know Mike and I are going to have that conversation about like, you know, okay, what tone are we going to go for today? Which amp are we going to use? Which pedals are we going to, and this is a whole nother level of fun and nerddom that occurs <laughs> when situations like that happen. So yeah, I, I never mind if my parts were placed or, and it's funny, the same thing, people tiptoe, I'll lay down a harmony idea and they'll be like, you know, Andy, I was hearing a different tone for that, maybe a female vocal. I'm like, are you okay with it? I'm like, you don't have to ask me if you're okay with it. I appreciate it. But no, man, replace it. Get me off there. You know, I don't care at all. Let's uh, let's see what else, see what something else sounds like. I'm always interested in compare A being things anyway. So, um yeah, it's it's and that's another thing that just kind of comes over time too. Some musicians are definitely a little more sensitive about their parts. And you you know like working with bands and stuff, you got to be careful with like talking to certain musicians about what they're playing and and if if something's not working, um there's a way to communicate that without sounding like an ass. Yes. You know, and and uh, with some people, I definitely know how to. Uh, that's another thing that just kind of comes over time and learning to read people, but also earning their trust. Like I said earlier, you earn their trust, and then I can go to the bass player when, it, and and this is just me talking, but it's just like yes, I have way more experience as a bass player, so it might be slightly intimidating when I talk to them about the bass part. So I got to be super super careful. So just try to focus on the positive stuff like, okay, dude, your verse is brilliant. The chorus is great. This little bridge section, I think we can work on something to make that a little more happening, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's like there's a way to get the to get in there and 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 still make them feel comfortable about, like I said, be comfortable with failing and, and making, you know, playing wrong notes and stuff. It's all fine. You know, it's just it, anything can be fixed and, and even if it's not fixed, just like there's wrong notes all over the place. So <laughs> I don't think it's a bad thing. Well, sometimes it's a bad thing. But it, anyway, <laughs> so that's a whole nother can of worms. But yeah, I just think that I just think that we have to be um, musicians are sensitive. So we are sensitive too. So we just got to be like whenever I get mixed notes, it's just like. You know, you see like eight mixed notes, and all I read is like, "Your mix sucks. Your mix sucks. Your mix sucks." <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, did I do anything right? But I know they like the mix, and I just have to get past that like ten minutes of like, do they even like it? And then it's like, well, they wouldn't have sent me mixed notes if they didn't like it because we're close. So yeah, so we're sensitive. We're we're a sensitive bunch, but I think that's what makes us creative. You know. Absolutely. I, I completely hear you. Um, there's a few things that I, uh, I want to, oh man, there's, there's, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. I say this to, to I know. Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got a session in one hour, but no, we're good. We're good. <laughs> okay. So last couple of things, like quick fire things that I, um, you'll have heard me asking on the other ones. So I, obviously I know you're a big Beatles fan. So what's, uh, what's your either favorite Beatles album or track or particular highlight of, of Beatles back catalog? 
It, I, I always go back to the White Album. I think it's because I bought it when I was, like, 13 years old. And this is back when, like, liking the Beatles wasn't cool, like, in the early 90s, because it, it was your mom and dad's music, you know? <laughs> so, like, I, I think I rented it from, like, the library when you could rent CDs from the library. Wow. And so... And then, like, my parents wouldn't buy it for me because of the whole Charles Manson Helter Skelter thing. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, we didn't have Google to debunk this stuff back then. You know, I had to, like, talk them into getting it for Christmas. So <laughs> that was, like, my first Beatle record. And to me, it still sounds like a perfect al- double album. So I'm, I'm, when it, Magical Mystery Tour is a insanely close second. Because it, it captures them at all their height of production and what I love about their records and the songs and and it's such a very it's a very British album which I love the songs are very <laughs> well it has the Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane and 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 that kind of stuff on there so but I think those two uh, just always continue to speak to me and even the White Album the way it's recorded it's almost kind of like the way you and I work these days too, where they were kind of starting to do some stuff is full band, some stuff is individual. It's such a wide variety of the spectrum for those guys. And I think that record really kind of covers the palette of the band over the years. And so that's why, that's why it kind of sticks with me. That's very cool. I I love that answer. Everybody's got such a different relationship with, with Beatles albums. And I love hearing people's stories about you know the story about the white album there i I love that it's everyone's got such a a different relationship with with their music and i that i I enjoy hearing all of those different stories and it's funny too because and you ask anybody about that stuff it's always the record that makes them fall in love with the band that's their favorite like wildflowers is my favorite tom petty record because that was my first tom petty record you know (laughs) um but uh I, my 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 early teens was a very difficult time for me with 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 you know all all kinds of personal situations and stuff but but buying those records at that time and escaping into the music is what really made me fall in love with music so there's so much more depth to that record for me personally and it's that's the start of all of this for me real, realistically that's that's really cool. I, um, yeah, it's very very cool. Um, I, I'm I'm hesitating because there's a, obviously given, I'm sort of uh, mindful of going down this rabbit hole. But there's a I've been talking about uh, sort of the way that this sort of COVID situation has has played out for a lot of musicians, and you know I have um, I have sort of uh, demons I suppose with with um, sort of trauma uh, and that kind of stuff. And I know that a lot of musicians have been speaking to a, to a friend of mine recently about this exact subject as he's going through the same thing. And a lot of musicians almost escape into music due to stuff that happened throughout childhood in a, to allow them... Uh, I, I read something about them. Fo- it keeps your mind focused, so almost as a meditative thing that your, your sort of mind is in the present moment when you're working on something and it's a, it becomes a meditation... Um, right. which is why a lot of uh, you'll you'll often find that a lot of good musicians do it for that reason or not maybe they don't even realize it but that's that's yeah. uh, how they yeah. ended up there 
Yeah, it 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 made it gave you a place to go, escape to, you know, in inside your headphones. It's a different world there. So, um, yeah, for sure. And it, you know, any art form, the same thing. I'm a huge film nerd too, so I can sit down with, you know, and I have to wear the headphones so I get the sonic experience, <laughs> so I'm not distracted, and I'll I'll watch it on my iPad. But but just losing yourself in something like that, um. It's magical, like you said. It's it's. I didn't never thought of it as meditation, but yeah, that's my meditation. I I never really felt I needed to meditate, but <laughs> but because that you know our brains are allowed to go to this place, and they're so trained to do that at this point, that that is your that is your peaceful spot. Yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, last last couple of questions. So, um, uh, your desert island gear. It could be a microphone, it could be outboard, it could be an instrument, something that you adore and you think you couldn't live without. <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have a a Yamaha FG one eighty acoustic in nineteen seventy one, and I bought it because that was the Elliott Smith guitar. I'm a huge Elliott Smith fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and later found out that big star that was the Chris Bell guitar. So like, uh. it's just I I've owned Gibson acoustics. I've spent thousands of dollars on, you know, the best acoustics money can buy, and I just always go back to that thing. I write songs on it. It it records insanely well. Plays great. If my house burned down, and I was able to pick one thing to grab, it would be that. Amazing. I I love that. Um, okay, and uh, final thing, if you were to uh, give one sort of piece of advice, perhaps focus towards um, a studio approach, uh, maybe a piece of advice that you've been given. It doesn't necessarily have to be studio approach, but have, have you got something that you sort of keep coming back to that you you would always, that you could impart on, on the listeners? <laughs> Man, um, don't forget to have fun. I think that that that's a huge thing because when you listen to records, even like the the rumors when like all this stuff is happening, they are having fun in those musical moments. You can hear it on the records. I don't worry about so much the end result. Like I got to get this CD done by this time and get it out. Blah 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 blah. Have fun in the moment because that's the thing you're gonna remember. When you're in 20 years down the road, when you listen to that and you hear the weird xylophone part, it's like, remember when we were laughing because it's the theme from the Charmin commercial? And we, no, I don't know, <laughs> whatever. But you know what I'm saying? It's those little anecdotes that that will make your heart feel close to that album. So I think it. I think it's hard sometimes for some artists because they're so focused on the end result that they forget to be in the moment and, and enjoy themselves. Like I always use this analogy. I don't know if you're a golfer or not, but you don't go play golf to say you shot like a 82 or an 83. You go for that four or five rounds of time with your buddies in this place. And I always say that that's what this is. This is your poker night. It's not about winning $200. It's the four or five hours with your friends enjoying yourself so treat it like that and your end result will be so much more you'll be happier with your end result for sure very cool i i like that a lot um so then uh it 
uh, just to wrap it up, uh, a final word on you, your band. Uh, you've got the band The Legal Matters, which I've been listening to this morning. Um, and uh, you're, you have a new record coming out. Have you finished it or are you in the process of finishing it? We're in the process. Yeah, COVID has definitely slowed us down. Um, you have the 12 songs kind of tracked. We got some finishing vocals to do and stuff. So we're about... Probably three, four more sessions from finishing. Probably another couple months, but um, the last record we did get released by Omnivore, which is a pretty decent size indie in, in over here in the states. And uh, we're gonna probably try to shop it out a little bit and just see if anybody wants to. And it, it, it's such a you know same thing, a goofy time. The record labels are having a hard time, so it's not the we're not rushing anything because you know it it doesn't make any sense to go like try to people to help you put out your record at this point in time anyway so we're just we're having we and that's the thing this whole that whole project was just three friends trying to make records that sound like abbey road circa 1967 <laughs> you know or 68 so but that's why it's so enjoyable to us and and so we're we're really i i love this album we've had a great time making it and hopefully we'll get it out if not by the end of the year, early next year, I think. Cool. I'll put. Um, I'm going to put a link to the to the last album because uh, if you're if you're remotely into the Beatles, which I'm pretty sure everybody who listens to this is, um, it's it's a beautiful album. The harmonies are amazing. Uh, there's some great songs, and it's clearly Beatles influenced. But I I think I can hear where sort of the influence of where you're from you know knowing what bands have come from where you're from it's almost i mean i'm i'm struggle to find the words for it but there's almost like a a blues almost a country bit, sort there's of a, vibe there's a little bit of dirt on it there's yeah. a little bit of dirt on, yeah no exactly i appreciate that because i kind of feel that that's there too and detroit and michigan in general and the other two guys are from detroit but i played in detroit like my whole life as a musician. So Detroit has such an attitude when it comes to rock and roll and music. And, and there's, there's a thing there. There there's, like I said, there's a little bit of dirt. There's the Iggy pop, there's the MC five, there's Alice Cooper, there's the white stripes. So everything has a little bit of that, that little bit of tinge to it. So um, I'm glad you hear that. That, <laughs> that makes me happy because it's pretty pristine pop. And, and that kind of makes me go, Ugh, you know. So I want things to have a little bit of, a little bit of that toot in there, like you were saying. So I appreciate that a lot, actually. Cool. Um, well, there, there we are. I'm glad. I, I'm glad I mentioned it. Um, it's been so lovely to speak to you, and I, I wish I could you talk too, to man. you for another for another hour. I feel like there's a million things I could ask you about. But well, yeah. I'm sure we'll. I'm sure we'll have more conversations in the future. Probably not on the podcast, but we'll <laughs> we'll definitely probably be needing to to Skype and just BS for a while. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to speak to me. Oh, thanks, Joe. I really appreciate it, buddy. So there we go, Andy Reid. Um, I hope, as usual, that you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Um, Andy is such a lovely, lovely guy. And uh, 
I am yet to find somebody to chat to, to for this podcast who isn't a lovely person. <laughs> but I had a lot of fun talking to him and we chatted for a long time before we started recording and he's uh, he's just brilliant. Um, so I really hope you enjoyed that. Um, next episode is the first of a two-part series that I'm gonna that I'm doing um, with a guitarist and journalist named Ed Alesco. Um, he writes for um, Guitar Magazine um, and some online guitar stuff. Um, and he is a vintage guitar nut. I thought it was about time that you guys had a bit of relief from drum talk from me. Um, and as I mentioned in the intro, I do play a little bit of guitar. Um, so I'm hoping that I, <laughs> I had enough knowledge. Uh, I've already recorded this. Uh, so I, I hope that I had enough knowledge um, to ask some pretty good well not pretty good but just you know adequate questions <laughs> you guys can be the judge of that um but anyway ed takes over and he's absolutely fantastic there isn't um anything that he doesn't know about sort of guitar recording or guitars and recording from sort of the late 50s to well to the modern day really but we sort of cover specifically the late 50s moving into the early 70s which covers the whole of the 60s um and a lot of stuff comes up in that um, conversation about why the 60s is such a, a sort of glorious era to be discussing um so anyway that's going to be in two parts because it was a long conversation and very very interesting um so i really hope that you enjoy that so look out for that that will be coming in two weeks time um in the meantime uh you can check out the stuff that i do at all you need is drums um i provide remote recording services um in a sort of vintagey style um, so my website is allyouneedisdrums.com. Um, if you have any feedback for the podcast, you can contact me through the website um, or you can email me on joe at allyouneedisdrums.com. As you've heard in this, I respond to all the emails and I love receiving them and I am really, really open to feedback, um, whether it's productive criticism, constructive criticism or whether it's just positive. Um, all of it's welcome. Um, I just want to make the podcast better and I want you guys to enjoy it more. So the the more feedback I can get from you, as, as far as I'm concerned, the better it is. Um, so there we go. And as usual, thank you to um, the wonderful Joe Kane for the intro and outro music for this. Um, and my good friend, David Henshaw, who is a... Uh, very or well, provides the artwork for this podcast uh, every fortnight and he also does the, my isolated drums artwork and he's done a load of other artwork for me he's a brilliant person anyway thank you all for listening and i will uh, see you in two weeks time with some lovely guitar talk goodbye <laughs>